Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. We're going to be over in uh, the last book of the Bible, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, it's the very last book. In fact, you can actually go just before the concordance pages on this one or the whatever you got in the last, the maps and all that in the back of your Bible, because we're going to chapter 19. Uh, today we begin a, a series of sermons uh, that'll take us really through Thanksgiving, I believe, um, or close to Thanksgiving. And um, it's going to be on the last four chapters of the book of the Revelation. Um, as we look at this, uh, just to set, set the expectations here, if you're looking for a whole bunch of uh, you know, signs and wonders and what does that symbol mean and that symbol mean, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I ain't that kind of preacher. I'm just not. Uh, sorry if that's what you're looking for. I'm just going to preach to you what's in the Bible here, and what we know we'll know, and what we don't know we won't know, and I'll have to tell you we don't know it. But there's a lot here with what we know. And I'll tell you this one thing about the Bible, if we would just take half of what is clear and obey it and take it seriously, it would actually change our lives. So we're going to focus in on those things, and I think the Scripture will speak to us in that way. So this uh, is in Revelation chapter 19. We'll begin in verse 1, we'll read down to verse 10 to set the context for you. This is, of course, the last few four chapters. And at this point in the future, because we believe that the revelation of Jesus Christ is speaking about things that will come, at this point in the future, there's a lot of bad things that have happened on this earth. It is absolutely destroyed for all intents and purposes. People are dying, people are hurting. Governments are, if you think they're oppressive now, they're really getting oppressive at that point. And everything has been just really come to a grinding halt. In fact, in chapters 17 and 18, there is this person that is referred to as the scripture that the King James talks about this as the, the great whore of Babylon. And there, she's referred to in chapter 19, verse 2. But this represents really everything that is wrong, everything that is bad, everything that is ugly. And Jesus has just defeated her. He's just taking care of her. It's done. She's gone. It's no more. So with that in mind, you can look at the scene that opens up in chapter 19 and kind of understand where they're coming from. I want to ask you to stand, if you're able to. Read with me. Revelation chapter 19, I begin in verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And the voice came out of heaven saying, Praise our God. 
all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God and the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you will speak your words to your people. While these words often can be considered and often thought of as scary or spooky or unusual lord there's celebration there's victory there's power in these words and i pray that you will help us to find the truth of these words and fill our hearts with them so that we can even in this moment as we look forward to this moment we can say hallelujah to the lamb please give us that voice of praise we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. For uh, nearly 50 years now, the United States of America has officially endorsed the murder of the unborn. And for decades, politicians, pandering to one side or the other, depending on where you are on that issue politically, they have sworn to either overturn or to protect what I consider to be a grisly and inhumane Supreme Court decision. And now, if you follow the news much at all, you probably have heard of one of the justices of the Supreme Court, Justice Ginsburg. Um, after she has passed, she passed, I think it was Friday when she passed away. The rhetoric is in full swing. Y'all paying attention to this? They're talking. Both sides are talking about it because they can't. I mean, again, but it's they just they can see that they can just be on top of this thing. But let me just make a prediction since we're in a prophetic mood. Um, and I'm no prophet nor son of a prophet, so take that for what it's worth. But um, my prediction is I fully expect that no matter who ends up, whether it's President Trump or if he loses in the fall and the other guy gets to uh, uh, nominate this uh, person, or however this ends up working politically, no matter who gets appointed and who gets to do the appointment to replace Justice Ginsburg, I believe in this country, and this is my cynicism, that the unborn will continue to pay a price in this country. It, it seems to me, and it makes me mad when I think about it, and even now the emotions are kind of welling up in me, it gets frustrated, I get frustrated about this. It seems like Babylon is winning, to use the Bible word, Babylon. Because Babylon, in the, in the scripture here, Babylon really represents all that's wrong and evil in this world, everything that's corrupt, everything that um, 
undermines God's glory in the face of humanity. And it seems like Babylon wins all the time. And and I'll tell you that Babylon seems to be winning every time you look around and you hear about a marriage breaking up, you hear about a police officer being attacked in the line of duty, you hear about a woman who is brutalized, you hear about some minority who has been discriminated against while simply being themselves, you hear about a child abandoned or hurt or abused. Seems like Babylon wins a whole lot, doesn't it? The devil seems to be having a field day, I think. And I don't know where that makes y'all, but it upsets me. It discourages me. But I want to remind you, because we just read a text here, and I believe that's what this passage is intended to do, I want to remind you that there is somebody who cares. There's somebody who's going to right every wrong. There's somebody who's got the power to actually do what he says he will do. And what needs to be done, not just what you think needs to be done, but what he needs to, be, needs, needs to be done. And he is loving and caring and loving you all the way through that. We can literally say, as heaven has said four times in this passage, hallelujah, hallelujah. We can praise God, praise the Lord that he is the one that is in charge. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to right every wrong that's ever been done. In chapter uh, chapter 18, in verse 2, you see that Babylon has fallen. And the scene we read in chapter 19 is, as it says there, after these things. After Babylon falls, then heaven rejoices. Why are they rejoicing? Because Babylon is a brazen, sinful, degenerate, She is illustrated or sort of personified as a woman, as a person, but it is really a larger system of thought, a way of operating, and this is the way this world operates. Refers to, if you go back to chapter 17 and 18, you'll see it's the the power, it's the lust that drives the world leaders on their stage as they try to uh, uh, lord over what they don't have any right to lord over. It's the the greed that drives the, the corrupt uh, businessmen, the merchants it talks about, to go and take what they don't rightly, have not rightly earned, to take from people that they have not uh, allowed to do. It also is the same system that would take the people of God who claim God's name and stand for what's right, stand for, for the Lord, and it actually take their lives as a result of that. There are martyrs that up to this point have existed, there are martyrs that are, that are, that are happening, there's martyrdom that's happening even today as we, as we speak. People who are losing their lives because there are governments, there are people, there are even religious systems that believe if you stand for Jesus, you don't deserve to live. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has come in. In verse 3 it says there, or rather in verse 2 it says there that he has avenged the blood of his servant, that he has judged the great horde which did corrupt the earth with their fornication. So what the Lord has done is he is actually bringing down this system to the point where if you read verse 3, I want you to pay attention to this, where as heaven says, alleluia, it says her smoke, it's speaking of the smoke of Babylon, rose up forever and ever. This evil system is destroyed forever and it will constantly, there will be a constant reminder There'll be a constant reminder that it has been destroyed, a continual burning. 
Babylon's sins are avenged. Every martyr's blood that's spilled, every child that's killed, every child that's abused, every man or woman that has ever been enslaved, every worker that has ever been abused or ripped off, every person that has ever been raped or dehumanized in any way, the Lord Jesus Christ does not look at that and say, eh, not a big deal. I need you all to understand that, that God cares when things are rotten. He's watching. He's paying attention. And some of these jokers think they're getting away with it. There's some people that have done some of these things, and they've never been brought to justice per se. And you know what? The Lord knows, and he will bring them to justice. There are governments who think they are absolutely in the right to tell churches that they cannot gather, and they think that they're fine to do that. They think they're doing that, and they have all kinds of justifications. The Lord does not turn a blind eye to that. There are men and women who have lost their lives and their livelihoods because they stood for right. They stood for the Lord. They stood for the gospel, and Jesus did not, does not turn a blind eye to that. Those people that have hurt those people, that have murdered those people, who have done things against his people, they will pay. Go back to, the, what is it, the 40s, and those, those uh, camps in which the Jewish people were hurt, killed, in just mass numbers. That is, I know that the world sort of has called that to justice, but let me tell you, it's not going to be nothing like what our Lord is going to do. He is going to right those wrongs in a way that no one can even imagine, that even in your wildest imagination, when someone has hurt you, you think about what they have done against you and you wish this or that would happen to them. Don't worry. The Lord will make it right. Amen. He is a just God. He will right all those wrongs. And that's why heaven says in verse 1, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what that word means. Salvation is of the Lord. He's the one who saves. He is the one who has, as he says there, power unto the Lord our God. He has all power, and only he deserves honor and glory. He is the glorious and honorable one. God is always going to do what everybody in this world wants done. You know, we all, we all want justice, don't we? At least I think we do. And you hear right now, you hear a lot of cries for justice in this nation. And some of it might be right, some of it might not be so right. I don't, I'm not here to judge that, but I can tell you, we all want it, don't we? But you know who's ultimately the one who's going to give it? Jesus is going to give that justice. He's the one that's going to give the justice that is right. He's going to do real justice. He is the real justice. He is the one who is right in what he does. He, is not, he, he does not uh, judge incorrectly. He doesn't, you can't bribe him. He is incorruptible. What he does is always right, which is why we see heaven saying four times, hallelujah. By the way, just as a side note, this is the only passage in the Bible that actually has the word hallelujah in it. There are some, in the Psalms, there are some phrases in the Hebrew that could be translated hallelujah, but they don't even, in the King James, we don't translate them that. You know why? That we can actually say praise the Lord, we can hallelujah, we can shout in heaven, because the Lord makes all things right. Everything that's wrong is made right in heaven. In verse 4, the four and twenty elders and the four beasts, they affirm what has already been said by all these people. The four and twenty elders and the four beasts, if you know much about the book of Revelation, were introduced to them in chapter 4. 
And probably the most notable thing, there's lots of interpretations about who they are and what they are, but let me just tell you what's most notable to me about them, is they are, in chapter 4, they're in the throne room of heaven. They're in God's very presence. And that's notable because those that are closest to God himself actually worship him and affirm by saying amen. It says there in verse 4, they say amen. They say, yes, what these people said is right. We are up close to God. We are in his presence, and we can affirm that he is just and he is right. And then the next voice in verse 5, there's voice out of the throne, which seems to suggest this is actually uh, God himself that's speaking because it's coming out of the throne. Different people think it's different things, but let's say this because this is clearly what's in the passage. Heaven itself is telling us, go ahead, worship the Lord. It actually is commanding us to worship the Lord. And look at what people do in response here. I want you to read, the, just pay attention to verse 6. I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thunderings. There's no two ways about what's going on there. It's a shout. There is a loud roar. I watched some football yesterday, and uh, both teams that I was watching, paying attention to lost. Uh, Appalachian, they just really, they just messed it up. I don't know what they were doing. Anyway, they, they lost uh, Marshall. Anyway, in case anybody cares about that, uh, let's get back to what we're preaching about. But I was watching football, and if you've watched any football lately, they're playing these games, but there's nobody in the stands. Nobody. It's the weirdest looking thing. And I remember the few times that I've actually had been a sit at a, at a football game in particular, although basketball is similar, but football, something about it, the atmosphere is, Part of it is just all the people cheering, and there's a loudness to it. Y'all don't, don't care anything about sports. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. Y'all acting all pious this morning. That or I'm boring you to death. I don't know which one it is. Y'all come on and be with me a little minute. But there's something about that, that, that roar of the crowd. You know that, that roar of the crowd? And that's what's going on. And that's exactly the kind of sound, I believe, although we'll have something better to cheer than football. Uh, but that's exactly the kind of sound I believe that you're seeing here when he says there it's the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thunderings. There's an absolute shout. Now, I want to be clear here. It's a shout that you can read the words to. Y'all ever heard people shout in big crowds? Sometimes you're like, I don't know what they're saying. It sounds like a bunch of wah, wah, wah. This shout is an intelligible, joyful chant of praise and it's the kind of praise that truly does raise the roof as they say this is what they say there look at verse six hallelujah for the lord god omnipotent reigneth they say this god is worthy of our praise he's worthy of us lifting our voice he's worthy of us losing a little bit of our dignity we're going to go ahead and loosen our collars a little bit we're going to go ahead and shout a little bit we're going to go ahead and lift our hands we're going to go ahead and act like we're excited to be in his presence we're going to be there and he, he is the one that we're going to go ahead and give ourselves to just like they do at a football game y'all seen them do it y'all been part of the crowd Woo! they did the thing and they just pushed a ball across a few yards. But these people say, we got something to be happy about. We've got the one. He is the God omnipotent. That word is something else. He can do anything. He is powerful enough to do anything. 
They're shouting and praising because the God that they're talking to is not like these politicians who are making promises to us, telling us what we want to hear so we'll, they'll get our vote and we won't vote for the other guy. What does God do? He makes his promises and he delivers every last one. He has and he continues to, and he will never stop delivering on his promises. He is the sovereign creator of the world. Think about that. Everything that you have, your very existence, the fact that you're sitting here, and whatever you're thinking about what I'm saying, wish he would hush, wish he would hurry up, don't like the way he's talking about it, or I love that, whatever your opinion is, you know where that comes from? God has created this brain and your soul so you can actually have a presence. The fact that you exist is God making you exist. He's fully in charge of all of it too. He, he's not like us where we make something and <laughs> think about Eli got to come home. Uh, was it Friday? He was home Friday. He was on Friday and Saturday morning. Got to see him for a few minutes. And we made that thing. Me and my wife, we made that boy. I got no control over him. Not a bit of control. I did the best I could. I don't know if I was successful or not. We'll see. We'll find out. But what I did, there it is. Eli Tilly. Lord bless the world because there's an Eli Tilly in it. I love that boy, I do. But God, on the other hand, you know what God does? He made all of this, and he is completely and totally in control of this. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing takes him off, out of, out of, uh, takes him off guard. Everything is absolutely as he planned it. He is the eternal sustainer of everything. That everything that we have, everything that you have, if you have it, it came from God. If you have breath this morning, you have breath because God gave you that breath. We can say with confidence, as I've said to many people since I have been here at this church, I have said to people, and they've said to me, God has me here for a reason. And I believe that. But you know why you can say that? Because God put you here, God left you here, and God will take you when he's ready for you. And in the meantime, he does have you here for a reason because he is omnipotent. He is powerful enough to do all of those things. Yet he is also the fearful God. There are some people, I'm probably one of them kind of people, my bark's a whole lot worse than my bite. I can say all kind of stuff, and I can look at you, and you can say, yeah, that's good, and then you can do what you want to, and I'm not going to do anything about it. That's just how I am. Tell other people, some people are like that. You know how people are. They, they, they just, they just you say, what they, they say all kinds of stuff, but they don't, they don't, they don't have any follow-through, you know? That's how some people are. God, on the other hand, you're going to submit to him whether you want to or not. You're going to submit to him no matter what, how big you are or how little you are. No matter how much money you have, no matter how little money you have, no matter who you are, he is the Lord God omnipotent. And you will fear him. Every moment is under his control. Every act is fully accounted for by him. And everyone who stands against him will answer. And he's got the power to do it. He's not threatening from heaven. He is going to follow through with everything that he says, which is why even the people in his presence, the 24 
uh, 24 elders and the beasts, they say, yep, that's right. Yep, that's right. Amen. Hallelujah. He is the Lord God, omnipotent. Now, what happens in verse 7 is, as, they, as that big crowd is roaring their approval of God, as they're roaring about how, how wonderful he is, they, they say there, after he is omnipotent, they say in verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. It's interesting that in chapter eight in, 18 in verse 2, it says that Babylon's fallen, but there are tears that are shed. It's interesting to, to pay attention to that. There are actually tears that are shed for Babylon when it falls. Now, I just told you how horrible it is. But you know who cries about Babylon falling? Merchants who don't have, don't, can't steal from people anymore. The world leaders who've been taken out of their position. The abusers, the haters, the, the, hit, the hurtful people. Those people are crying over Babylon. But you know who's rejoicing in heaven? It's God's people. God's people. Because what's happening is we recognize that what, what's going on in this world, the sin and this pain and this horrible stuff that's going on, it ought to grieve us. It, 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 don't get upset when you get upset about bad stuff in this world. That tells you that your heart's in the right place. You're doing the right thing. You're not grieving. Uh, you're, you're, you're grieving over the right stuff. That's important. But whenever we see evil happening, it hurts us, but then we're going to see our Savior come in and destroy the evil, and then we can start rejoicing. Why? Because it looks there in verse 7, it says, For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. You see, it's time, because the Lord is coming. He is here. It's time to enjoy him. Now, now I want you to see this. It's all, it's all time to rejoice in Jesus time to do that but it's only going to happen if god makes it possible but you see this in verse eight verse seven you see the wife is ready verse eight she's granted to be arrayed in fine linen clean and white so she this bride that is about to marry the lamb and this is some symbolism that the bible does unlock for us in just a minute i'll help you see this but this this bride is about to be ready and she's dressed in white and she's robed got this perfect robe on this just beautiful beautiful clothing on but it says there the last part of the verse for the fine linen this is what the bride is wearing is the righteousness of the saints the righteousness of saints you see that bride we believe represents the church of jesus christ that's who that is and this bride is prepared she is going to be dressed perfectly just be the most stunning bride that's ever walked down the aisle of a church this is going to be a beautiful beautiful bride and she is dressed in these perfect robes these perfect garments and why are those perfect garments they were it says there that in verse 8 that she was that he, to her was granted that she should be arrayed this was given to her it is only possible because she's been given as we have been interpreted in verse 8 this robe of righteousness that she can put on I'd like to turn your attention to another passage. You can turn there or not. I have it written down, so I won't turn there myself. But over in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I want you to see here that the Lord writes everything that's wrong, and he's powerful enough to do it. 
but he also loves you a whole lot. He loves you. But by the way, I'm talking to you, those that are seated, seated here with me, because I believe if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is your Savior, you are part of that bride, collectively together. And, and, and we're going to be, as a collective group, essentially robed in righteousness. I don't know what kind of clothes I'm going to have on or you're going to have on exactly. The Bible's not making that clear. But I can tell you from a spiritual sense, in a spiritual sense, from a spiritual perspective, you are going to be robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because he loved you enough to make sure that you could be in his presence, perfect, shining, bright, and spotless. And he's invited you to be there. If you were to go down to verse 9, it talks about there that, this, that, that the person, this is the, sort of the angel that is showing John all these things, and it's, he saith unto me, write, blessed are they that are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's an allusion here to a parable that Jesus tells uh, there's two places for it. If you're one that makes notes, you may want to make note of this and go look at it for some point later. In, um, in Matthew chapter 22, uh, the first 14 verses there, there's a parable. And it's a similar parable, although with some slightly different details, in Luke chapter 14, in verses 15 to 24. But in both of those parables, the, the story is essentially that there was an invitation that goes out to a wedding. And that first invitation, it goes out to who the things you, people you think it would go out to, the special people, the dignitaries, the rich folk, the people that are special. But for some reason, none of those people wanted to go to the wedding. They all turned it away. They said, no, we've got stuff to do. We've got other things. There's even some that even went so far as not only to say, no, I can't, and make a good excuse, but they actually went so far as to say, no, I can't, and why are you bothering me with this? They would actually abuse the messengers who would come in to tell them about this. Not sure why they would do it, but that's what was going on. So the king, who was bringing everybody in for the, the wedding, he said, well, listen, we're not going to have an empty wedding. We're going to go ahead and send this invitation out to the byways and the, or the highways and the hedges. Highways and the hedges is the, the way it's, I think it's over in Luke, it uses that phrase. Highways and the hedges. Going out, literally going, shaking the bushes, saying, find anybody. People that normally wouldn't get invited to a wedding like this, we're going to invite them. People that would normally be rejected, y'all come on in. I want to make sure that everybody gets an invitation to this wedding, and I'm going to make sure that when they come, they better be dressed right. That was another part of the parable about their dress. But here in this, in Revelation, we know that the bride is dressed exactly right. She's dressed perfectly. He's saying in so many words here, he's made preparations for you to be there because he loves you. Come, come, come to the wedding, he says. Come to this. Will you accept that? Now, John gets a little caught up in all this. I, I can imagine I would too, wouldn't you? You're seeing, I mean, what I'm reading to you is literally something John saw. Everything that I'm telling you, John saw it with his own eyes. I would get a little caught up in it myself. It would be overwhelming. And everybody's in there. I mean, you read it, go back and read it for yourself again. But I mean, they're, I mean, they're just spontaneously praising the Lord. Hallelujah. I mean, good gracious. It's just happening all over the place. Y'all have ever, I've been in church before with, with fallen human beings. And there just gets an excitement going. And it sometimes you may come in in a bad mood, but man, you're about the time that you're praising the Lord. And that's kind of the, the mood was infectious, I believe. 
And here's John when he, this guy starts talking to him, and this is his, his angelic tour guide in, chapter, in verse 10. It says there that he fell at his feet to worship him. It's an innocent mistake, I think. I mean, I could see him doing that. My understanding of how angels are described in the, the Bible, they're pretty amazing. I mean, to fall down and worship them would not be surprising. Good gracious, I've, I've not actually seen God with my own eyes, and if I saw an angel, I might say, well, that's probably God. <laughs> that's probably what I would do. So it's not, uh, uh, it's, it's an innocent mistake, but he is rebuked for it. He says in, in verse 10, he says, see thou do it not. He says, I'm just like you. I'm one of you folks. He says, no, don't do that. And he says, instead, look at what he says about Jesus. He says, you know, we have the testimony of Jesus. We know Jesus, but he says, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He says to him in so many words, keep your eyes on Jesus. Worship Jesus. Worship him. He's the one that deserves to be worshipped. We sing praises to the lamb that was slain because he is the spirit of prophecy. It's not about all the symbols and all the timelines and all the, the marks of the beasts and all that. Those are all parts of this. I'm not taking that away. But the point of this book is not those things. You know what the point of this book is? And I'm talking about the book of the Revelation, but also this entire 66 books called the Bible. You know what the point of it is? Jesus. He's the point. He's the centerpiece. He is the spirit of prophecy. He's the leader that we follow behind not about a president it's not about a, a pastor it's not even about a, a husband or a wife or a mama or a daddy these are not the things that we follow we do follow them only as they follow the lord the bible says but he's the leader jesus is the leader that we must follow and he's the one that saves it's not a denomination it's not a great leader not a philosophy and definitely not a political ideology that's going to get you into heaven what is going to have you a robe of righteousness is that Jesus died for your sins, washed your sins white as snow. He did that for you. Only he will right the wrongs. Only he will do what he's promised. Only he loves you enough to make you worthy. So as I close, I want to remind you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, Christian, what that means for you is you're going to have to stand for what's right. You're going to have to, can I just go ahead and say it? Go ahead and go vote organize, rally, protest, do all those things. Go ahead, get them all done. Let's do that. Not saying don't do that. Go for it. But don't put your hope in anyone. Do not put your hope in anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, can I go ahead and call you to repent, to repentance for falling on our knees in worship of all of these things that give us a glimmer of hope. And there are a lot of them, aren't there? They give us all kinds of glimmers of hope. I want to encourage you to look at your own spirit and your own soul to say, Lord, I was holding up this. It might have been a relationship. It might have been a political leader. It might have been a denomination. It might have been a preacher. It might have been any number of things that you were holding up as that thing is my savior and you may never put it in those words but practically that's what you were doing you were doing like john you were falling at your on your knees in worship of that thing i want to ask you encourage you to repent of that and if you've never accepted jesus as your savior he's inviting you to come to the wedding he's made it possible he's cleared the way he says y'all come on come on come on 
Don't reject him. Don't turn him away because he loves you and he died to save you from destruction. And if you turn him away, you will literally, literally be damned for eternity because of it. Do not turn him away. Instead, let us worship him. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Hallelujah, 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 amen. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.